600,000. That's how much Hunter Biden says he got from a company linked to China. How is the White House responding? Is China moving closer to a military foothold in the South China Sea? And how could those efforts give Beijing a leg up as it grapples with the U.S.? Satellite images reveal the story. Secretary of State Antony Blinken warning about China's problematic behavior in the Indo-Pacific, speaking to the press in Tonga as the U.S. races to expand its presence there. Beijing, an Indo-Pacific bully. That's according to America's defense chief. But what's behind that criticism? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Hunter Biden admits an over $600,000 payout from a company linked to China. The statement to a federal judge Wednesday appears to contradict President Biden's earlier claim that nobody from his family made money from China. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more. According to a court transcript obtained by the Epoch Times, David Weiss, the U.S. attorney for the District of Delaware, read out an exhibit in court indicating that Hunter Biden earned around $660,000 from a Chinese infrastructure investment company. The presiding judge asked Hunter Biden which company it was, to which he answered CEFC. CEFC is a CCP-linked Chinese energy company. It was named in a recent IRS whistleblower's testimony as a company Hunter Biden allegedly demanded $10 million from through WhatsApp in return for services from the Biden family. A White House spokesperson has said the Oversight Committee's probe into the Biden family is a waste of time and accused Republicans of engaging in a politically motivated investigation. House Republicans continue to probe the Biden family's overseas business dealings, arguing that there are possible national security implications to payments from foreign nationals. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer told Senator Ted Cruz on his podcast, Verdict, that six U.S. banks submitted over 170 suspicious activity reports to the Treasury Department about the Biden family over concerns of large transactions and wire transfers allegedly received by the Bidens from foreign state-owned entities, including the Chinese regime. If the Hunter Biden was doing something legitimate for China, they could have just wired the money to Hunter Biden, but they didn't. They, they sent it to a company called Robinson Walker. Then they wired it to a company called Owasco. Then they wired it to a co another company called Bohe something or another. And then they start... And monthly. do these companies do anything with it? Nothing. Or they're just, it's, it's just, it's just, just like a bucket to pour yes, the water yes. in the port in another That's place exactly and pour it somewhere it else. That's exactly what it is. And it was organized. This is like organized crime. The judge in Hunter Biden's case gave both sides 30 days to file briefs addressing her concerns, leaving the fate of his legal troubles in limbo. The White House said Thursday that President Biden would not pardon his son to dismiss the charges. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Is China inching closer to gaining a military base in the mostly contested South China Sea? And how would it affect U.S. military response in the region in the event of a conflict? Sparking those questions is the news that China has almost finished upgrading a facility in Cambodia called the Riam Naval Base. A spokesperson from the Cambodian Department of Defense confirmed the news to Voice of America. Satellite images show what China built. First, a pier up north, and then second, a much bigger pier. It's very similar to the pier the Chinese military uses in the base in Djibouti, Africa. Both piers are large enough to park Chinese aircraft carriers. In the south, the Chinese side also built an artificial island. These satellite images come from Black Sky, a U.S. commercial imagery company.
An expert says the naval port would allow Beijing to project military power in the Indian Ocean. Right now, China has a larger navy than the U.S. What it doesn't have, though, is a global network of bases to send its strength around the world. But this is something that Beijing seems to be working on. Cambodia said earlier that Chinese military wouldn't have access to the Riam base. The U.S. has been expressing concerns. President Biden last year called on Cambodia to be transparent about Chinese military activities there. Why is this military base getting attention from the world's top powers? It occupies a prime location. The base is close to one of the globe's most important shipping lanes, called the Strait of Malacca. It's the shortest sea route linking the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. Almost a quarter of global trade passes through this strait. And a quarter of all oil transported by sea also travels through it. China, Japan and South Korea also rely on this strait for most of their oil. How will it impact the U.S. military response in the region? A former U.S. intelligence official told the Financial Times that if the U.S. and China went to war, the U.S. could just bomb bases in the South China Sea. But in the case of this base, the U.S. would be bombing Cambodian territory. It seems the base in Cambodia is far from Beijing's only target. 1,600 miles west, what's China's end goal in Sri Lanka? China has poured 2.2 billion U.S. dollars into the country's Hambantota port. Now it's at the top of a list of possible sites for future Chinese naval bases. The island country sits right at the crossroads of the Indian Ocean trade route and has high naval value. That's according to an American research project, Aid Data. Its database shows 78 ports across the world have been funded or constructed by Chinese state-owned entities. Those investments totaling almost 30 billion U.S. dollars. Meanwhile, tensions between Beijing and the West are rising. China only has one overseas naval base for now, in Africa. But fears are growing that it's looking to up that number. Washington sent two high-profile U.S. officials to the Indo-Pacific region this week to help address China's rising maritime threat. President Biden hosting the Italian Prime Minister at the White House on Thursday. At the top of the agenda, discussion about China and Russia. Washington views the Prime Minister as a partner in the effort to aid Ukraine. The European nation also signaled a willingness to pull out of China's wide-reaching infrastructure initiative. Italy is the only G7 country that has signed onto Beijing's Belt and Road Project. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. President Biden held bilateral talks with Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney. The two reaffirmed ties despite having ideological differences. Oh, and I think Italian people, I want to thank them for supporting you and supporting Ukraine. It makes a big difference. Maloney, who rose to power last year, leads Italy's most right-wing administration in decades. But the two leaders, though holding different stances on social issues like abortion, do share a lot of common ground on international objectives when it comes to China and Russia. Regardless of their political colors, we know who our friends are in times that are tough. Italy has been working closely with the U.S. to support Ukraine, and Maloney is reportedly trying to pull out of China's Belt and Road Initiative, which Italy's previous administration joined in 2019, despite opposition from NATO and Washington. That more and more countries around the world are 
seeing the risks um, and quite frankly the lack of reward for economic partnerships uh, with, with China. The White House this week again highlighted the risks of China's investment and infrastructure program, which critics say would expose countries' critical infrastructure and sensitive technologies to the Chinese communist regime. But the White House said ultimately... For the Italians to speak to, I mean, that's their sovereign decision. I and now Washington and G7 countries are promoting their real alternative to China's Belt and Road Initiative. The goal leaders say is to reduce dependencies on other countries. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. Problematic behavior. That's the latest word on China from Secretary of State Antony Blinken. He's visiting the Pacific Island nation of Tonga this week and took questions from reporters on Wednesday during a speech with the country's prime minister. Asked about China's investment in Tonga, Blinken said the U.S. doesn't object to productive investments from foreign nations, including Beijing. But noted concerns come in where there's a lack of transparency or if political strings are attached. As China's engagement in the region has grown, there has been some, from our perspective, increasingly problematic uh, behavior. More specifically, uh, the militarization of disputed features, uh, for example, in the South China Seas, uh, some predatory economic uh, activities, uh, and also investments that are done in a way that can actually undermine good governance and uh, promote corruption. That stance comes alongside Western concerns about debt levels in the Indo-Pacific. Tonga boasts a population of just over 100,000 people, leading to questions about how the country will manage to dig itself out of its China debt. Here's the Prime Minister's response. We have started this year to actually start paying off uh, our debt in China. We, we don't have any problems or concerns with regards to that. China's extensive foothold in the region also goes beyond loans, from Beijing's embassy there to university exchange student programs. Now, the West is playing catch-up, boosting its own presence after its post-Cold War exit. The Biden White House looks to give the Indo-Pacific an alternative to doing business with China and to counter Beijing's grip in the strategically critical region. That importance mainly lies in the possibility of war between the two superpowers, ignited by a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. Worth noting, Tonga sits within attack range of a U.S. military base in Guam. Aside from the front line, Tonga is a member of the United Nations. And despite its small land mass and population, it gets an equal vote on the management of resources like fisheries and seabed mining. So winning the country's favor could prove a key advantage. Blinken's trip to Tonga marks the opening of a new U.S. embassy in the country's capital on Wednesday. More developments from the Indo-Pacific. Washington's defense secretary is visiting the region this week. Here's what he said during a meeting with his Australian counterpart. We've seen troubling PRC coercion from the East China Sea to the South China Sea to right here in the Southwest Pacific. And we'll continue to support our allies and partners as they defend themselves from bullying behavior. Australia echoed that concern, despite being under complex geopolitical pressure between China and its Western allies. Now is the time to be working closely with friends, and Australia has no better friend than the United States of America. The meeting came just one day after Secretary Blinken's public speech in Tonga, 
where he described Beijing's behavior in the Indo-Pacific region as problematic. China also signed a new policing deal with the Solomon Islands in recent months, aiming to equip the island with Chinese police forces. Back to Austin's travels, he set foot in Papua New Guinea on Thursday, becoming the first of his post to visit the Pacific country. The U.S. signed a defense cooperation agreement with the nation this May. It allows Washington to use the island's seaports and airports for the next 15 years. Is Beijing supplying Russia's war in Ukraine? A U.S. intelligence report unveils new evidence and gives a closer look at how China could be helping the Kremlin evade Western sanctions. Let's zoom in. According to the latest report from the U.S. Office of the Director of National Intelligence, China is providing some dual-use technology that Russia's military uses to continue the war in Ukraine. That's despite international sanctions and export controls. These technologies include navigation equipment, jamming technology, and fighter jet parts. As of March, over $12 million in drones and drone parts went from China to Russia. Citing customs data, the report finds the major players to be China's state-owned defense companies and their sanctioned Russian counterparts. Meanwhile, the report says Kiev has also spotted more Chinese components and weapons used by Russia. Beijing has long denied supplying any military aid to Russia, but the two nations uphold a no-limits partnership throughout the war. According to the report, Beijing has become the top buyer of Russian crude oil since the start of Western sanctions. That, along with expanded purchases of Russian natural gas and other energy exports. Total bilateral trade hit a record high in 2022. Beijing also allegedly used its financial system to allow Russia to conduct transactions unfettered of Western interdiction. The Biden administration has sounded the alarm that communist China might be offering lethal aid to Russia, but officials have repeated there is no evidence of lethal aid transfers for battlefield use. Chinese and Russian officials stood shoulder to shoulder with North Korea's leader on Friday. That's as they reviewed Pyongyang's latest nuclear-capable missiles and new attack drones at a military parade. Here's more. North Korea's capital, Pyongyang, has celebrated what it calls Victory Day with an extravagant military display. Russian and Chinese officials attended the event, which exhibited the country's banned ballistic missiles and new attack drones, including Moscow's defense minister, who is visiting the country for the first time since 1991. The appearance of Russian and Chinese officials at events with the North's nuclear missiles marked a contrast with previous years, when Beijing and Moscow sought to distance themselves from their neighbours' nuclear weapons and ballistic missile development. North Korean nukes are also banned by the United Nations Security Council, with Chinese and Russian support. But this week they appear to show solidarity, as the country seemingly united over their rivalry with the US. State media later reported that Kim had been reading a congratulatory speech from Russian President Vladimir Putin. Putin apparently thanked North Korea for its support during what he called the special military operation in Ukraine. However, both countries have denied Washington's accusation that Pyongyang has provided weapons to Russia for the war in Ukraine. In a speech at the parade, North Korea's defense minister accused the US and its allies of increasing tensions in the region. Another big story to look out for, accused of bomb threats they say they didn't make. The family of a Chinese dissident is being held in Thailand and threatened with deportation back to China. What's inside the fearful world of China's exiled dissidents? That report and more coming up Monday on China in Focus.
But coming up today, how did Hong Kong become Beijing's gateway to the global financial market? And what does the struggle there tell us about infighting within the Chinese Communist Party? We sat down with Simon Lee, former columnist for Apple Daily Newspaper and co-founder of the Little Rock Institute for more. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A conversation with a Hong Kong insider about how the city helped Beijing get a foothold in the global financial market. Plus, how does the city's extradition law tie into infighting among Chinese Communist Party members? We sat down with Simon Lee, former columnist for Apple Daily Newspaper and co-founder of the Little Rock Institute, for his insight. Simon Lee, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. So you were actually a columnist for the Apple Daily newspaper in Hong Kong. What was your personal experience of what happened in that country after the national security law kicked in in 2020? It was in a black box, and the only thing I had in mind was they wanted the law quite badly at the time. And the logical conclusion was they will use it after they impose the law on Hong Kong. And so after they really imposed the law on Hong Kong, I left. And, and I think that was uh, the last safe window for me to leave. If not, then I might already be in jail or something. And with that, it seems when Britain returned Hong Kong to China. It was under this promise of one country, two systems. And many point to that national security law as a breaking of that promise. What does that tell us of the Chinese Communist Party's goals for the rest of the world? I had the reflection that the one country, two system is actually a firewall that protects the CCP in a way, the CCP have access to the global financial order through Hong Kong without facing the need to reform itself, reform its own social institutions. For a very long time, the world thought as long as China keeps opening up its economy and make itself more like a market economy, China would change. And that was wrong because China had Hong Kong, which stand in front of the firewall. So China itself, under the CCP rules, was defended by one country, two system as a firewall. But that was based on the promise that Hong Kong would be different and highly autonomous and in a way Hong Kong was part of the global financial order, which is not entirely 100% under the CCP's control. So what happened in the past few years was the CCP felt the threat from the outside world. And it was not really the outside world's threatening CCP, but more precisely, if you look at all the evidence, it was the internal fractions within the CCP took advantage of Hong Kong as their escape port or as their 
proxy for the infighting. Deep down in the CCP's uh, psyche, what they're most afraid of is to repeat what happened in the Soviet Union in 1991. They do not want to have the collapse 2.0 happen within the CCP. So there are a few things that they are most afraid of. How is, say, the Western countries propping up the Chinese regime with money right now? If China continues to close itself to the rest of the world, what will happen is it will experience a long, slow recession. Um, Japan had like two decades of lost growth, the lost decades in Japan. And if you look at America, actually after 2008, um, people complained about the new normal for almost a decade. In China, that could take three, four decades, I don't know. But Janet Yellen recently visited China. And if you look at the reaction from Chinese side, they say it's constructive and this and that. But don't forget that Janet Yellen actually told Chinese government some of the sanctions out of national security reasons will not be lifted until China plays by the rule. So I think the message is very clear. If China wants outside help, you have to abide to the international order. Well, Simon Lee, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you soon.